honor to be here with you. Uh, we're going to be spending a few minutes here talking about those that deserve justice right here in our communities. And that's those kids that are in foster care, that are waiting for permanent families, that need a place to call their own. I want to take just a few minutes and address some of the elephants that may be here in the room. And I want to start with just saying that I am not an adoptive parent. I'm not an adoptive sibling. I've never been involved in foster care. I didn't come at this area of service a typical way that a lot of families might have. And a lot of folks like Tom Davis and Kelly, who was standing here, who are adoptive parents who've experienced this firsthand, I don't have that side. But I have been privileged to see God's heart for this issue and to see him revealed in so many neat ways. And it's been a, a privilege for me to get to work in this area. I've always had a heart for kids and always wanted to do something that benefited kids, but knew I wasn't called to any of the traditional works with kids types of jobs. I didn't want to be a social worker. I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a youth pastor. And so I just said, Lord, what does this look like for me? I went to a Christian university and uh, graduated with a business degree and was really excited about it, but still confused because I said, God, how does this fit? And then he said, move to Colorado. And I said, okay, that's a beautiful area. Would love to live there. <laughs> Here's my one-way ticket. And then God said, I'd like for you to take this position at Focus on the Family. So now I'm the program director for adoption and orphan care here at Focus on the Family. My name is Katie Porter, and again, I'm excited to just be serving in this role. And excited that the Lord uses all different paths to get us to where he needs us to be. And again, it may not have been a traditional type of thing where from the age of six I've dreamed of working with orphans. But again, just seeing his provision throughout my life. This is the Life and Justice Conference. And some folks may be questioning a little bit, why are kids in foster care included in this area? I mean, is this really the right fit? Because honestly, there are so many needs around the world, so those are more important, right? And part of my reason for being here today is to really communicate that bigger picture, that certainly kids around the world are extremely important. I was fortunate to go to Africa earlier, earlier in 2010, and was honored to serve alongside some great ministries there in loving on orphans, feeding them, and sitting with a bucket of food, putting food in their bowls, and knowing that that's their meal for today. What an honor and a joy to get to do that. But we also want to take a, an important step to look at the kids who are right here in our communities. Because I'm not here to say that the kids in foster care are more important than the kids in Africa. But neither will I say that the kids in Africa are more important than the kids here in the United States. And for too long, we've taken these kids that are in foster care and said, well, you know, it's kind of too late for them, and it's just too hard to deal with, and so we'll focus our efforts elsewhere. There's also a lot of misconceptions about foster care. One of the big ones, recently there was a study done that 45% of Americans believe kids are in foster care because of juvenile delinquency. Quite frankly, that's just not true. It's always because of abuse, neglect, or abandonment on the part of a birth family that a child ends up in care. So we want to be sensitive to that and understand that these kids are here because of no fault of their own. And what are we doing as the body of Christ to communicate the love of Christ to them, to communicate their value, to communicate their worth? I also want to address one other quick thing, and I know that there are challenges in the system. And often we have folks, whenever I share at a conference, that'll say, why don't we just go for foster care reform and kind of blow the whole thing up and start over and let's just figure out how to make this process better and and quite frankly, I will admit that there are some things that could be done throughout the process to help improve things. But I don't believe that's the answer. The answer is the people in this church, the people down the street, the people in the churches in a few states away, who say, no, these kids, 
there are kids, and there are responsibility, and God, God has called us to do something for these kids. So we want to look at it from that perspective, rather than trying to just fix this, the, the problem, how do we engage and be a part of the solution? For too long, we've looked for the really quick answers. What's the easy fix for this? What's the quick way I can kind of get in, get out, feel good about myself, help somebody along the way? But really, I don't think God has called us to that. Like Tom said earlier, God has called us to be vulnerable, to open our hearts and to say, okay, here I am, and I know this might be painful, I know this might be hard, and I realize this is going to take a lot of time. But I believe you've called me to this, and I believe that because these kids are worth it, it's, it's important that I give my time and effort to this. Also, like Brady said, we were, he mentioned shouting at the darkness. And for too long, we've kind of shouted at the darkness of what is our government foster care system and said, you guys don't even know what you're doing and you can't do it right and look how messed up you guys are without giving an example of just saying, here we are as the body of Christ. We want to love you, caseworker. We want to love on you, judge. And most importantly, we want to love on these kids. So that's what I'm here today to share with you a little bit about. As we look at the scripture, one of the really interesting things to me is that in Exodus, Moses is, is with God, and, and he asks to see God's glory. And God says, I can't show you my face, because no one has seen my face and lived. But then as you read through the scriptures, through the Old Testament and New, God, in effect, says, here is my heart, right here before you, and this is what my heart beats for. This is what I'm all about. If you want to know me, here is my heart. Here are the things that I'm passionate about that I then call you to be passionate about. So as we look at Psalm 68, 5 and 6, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. I think most of us in this room can relate to that verse too because how many of us have gone from either home to college or moved to a new city or something and we've seen the Lord provide a family in a sense. I wouldn't consider myself an orphan in that standpoint. I've got a great loving family. But as I mentioned, five years ago, I moved out here not knowing a soul, really. <laughs> and the folks I was going to stay with, I met him in the airport, and I said, I'm Katie. Nice to meet you. Here I am to live in your home for a while. <laughs> so is that situation where you feel so out of place, so lonely, you're not used to the town, and you don't have those connections, and the Lord just provided family and friends around me during that time. How much more does God desire to provide these tangible families for these kids without them? In Psalm 27, verse 10, it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And we know this is a sweet, sweet promise to, to those of us who are hurting. And we know that the Lord will be there even when those around us, family, friends, just don't seem to be supporting us. James 1.27 says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being stained by the world. This, is an, this has kind of been the poster vote, uh, scripture verse as it relates to adoption and orphan care because it's one that we seem to have easily read over. We focus a lot on that second portion of keeping oneself clean from the world and how do we pursue righteousness and how do we do what's right in the eyes of the Lord but we forget that first part of the verse where God just says pure religion is to care for orphans and widows and so we want to just challenge the church that this is important and as we look at this issue of orphans Again, recognizing that there are orphans right in our communities. Matthew 25, verse 40 says, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And sometimes we can, it's hard for us to make that connection from foster care to an orphan in Africa or a Chinese orphanage or something like that. Because over there you see the bloated bellies from starvation. 
You see them dying of preventable diseases because of malaria. You see HIV AIDS ravaging a country. You see their skin through the holes in their shirt because it's so tattered and so worn. So we don't have quite that picture here in the United States. But again, we need to just see these kids with God's eyes and with his heart. Because this is an important area for us to be able to focus in. These kids are right in our communities, feeling neglected, feeling alone, as if no one cares, and if no one even understands what they're going through. Proverbs 31.8 says to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. This really has become one of the great scriptures for this conference in general, because that's what we're all about today. Who are the marginalized? Who are those who are down and out? Those that are hurting? Those that are vulnerable? And God has called us to speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. I have a loud voice, and I like to be able to use it. I love this opportunity to be in front of people and say, did we even recognize this was a need? And just challenge one another. We all have that opportunity as we go about our days. And what are the ways God is allowing us to speak up for those, those kids? And then Psalm 82.3 says to defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless, which is actually kind of a fun invitation that God has said, my heart is to secure justice for these, and I am calling you to help me defend the cause of those who cannot defend themselves. And it's just, I, I love being able to be a part of that and stand for that justice. Let's get into some of the facts a little bit of here in the United States. Currently, there are about 450,000 kids in United States foster care. They've had to be removed from their birth families because of abuse or neglect or abandonment. And quite frankly, a lot of these kids have come from some very, very difficult situations. I won't get into some of the details with you because, quite frankly, it's just not fair for me to, to expose you to all of that today. But these are things that are happening right in our backyards. They're the things you hear about on the 6 o'clock news and the things that sometimes we just try and pretend like is not happening in our nice little suburban neighborhood. But it does. So these 450,000 kids are living in what we consider out-of-home care with foster families, and most of them will hopefully be reunited with their birth families. That's really the goal. But for some of these kids, that's just not going to be a reality. Right now, about 114,000 kids in the United States are what we consider legal orphans. Often, orphan conjures up the thought of your birth family has died, and yes, that it can be very true. In this situation, a lot of these kids actually have birth family who still may be living. But for whatever reason, the birth family has been unwilling or unable to provide the level of care that these kids need. Therefore, the state has mandated and the courts have mandated that they not be able to care for their children. So we've got 114,000 kids who are waiting for someone to come home to on a consistent basis, someone they can call mom, a sibling they could pick a fight with, something. <laughs> anybody to come alongside them through this journey. On the average, kids are removed by about age five and they're still waiting at age eight. So we see this long gap of these kids saying, is anybody, does anybody see me? Am I just invisible? I didn't realize I was wearing my invisibility cloak today, but apparently I am because no one even sees me or cares that I exist. As we fast forward a little bit, we see where these kids end up. The average stay in foster care is 27 months, but obviously that means you've got some kids who are staying quite a bit longer than just 27 months. Unfortunately, some kids end up with a, a pretty quick transition through care, that they'll come in and birth families realize, this is my wake-up call. This is my chance to get my feet back under me, to get a stable job, to provide a safe and secure home so that my children can live with me. And thankfully that does happen. But again, on a, on, in some situations, it's just not a possibility. 
20% of these kids wait five years or more for a placement. Five years. That's a long time to not to have a complete sense of insecurity and no stability, no permanence, not knowing where you're going to live today versus tomorrow, not knowing who's going to be there for you at your high school graduation, not knowing who's going to celebrate the next birthday with you. That's a long time. The average age of these kids is 10 years old. So you can imagine, you know, you're 10 and you don't know if your 11th birthday, if you'll still be living with this family or the next family, or if you'll be in the same school district, maybe you'll have to completely move towns. And this could last for three, four, five, 10 years in some cases. So what are we doing for these kids? Each year, 20,000 will age out of foster care. And at times we hear folks say, well, at least when they're 18, they can just, they'll age out, they can just go about their life, they can just move on, and things will be better then, right? No. Most of these kids that age out of foster care are, maybe have a high school degree, maybe have a GED. A lot of them are not really ready to go to college, either emotionally or intellectually. They're not ready to launch out on their own. They don't know what it means to, to get a job and to work. They have all these questions about how do I do real life because they've never had to do it. But there's no one walking beside them. I mean, I still call my mom standing in the grocery. I'm trying to make something. What does this mean? What's the difference between this and this? Can I use this instead? Well, these kids are thinking, that's a simple thing, but what about the big life decisions that I also, Dad, I want to buy a house. What does that look like? I need an apartment. What do I do? These kids have nobody to call. We heard a real sad story from here in the state of Colorado. A young man aged out of foster care and enlisted in the military, strong guy, and, and was excited to serve his country. He was deployed to Iraq and shipped overseas. And once he got there, he was allowed to make a phone call to just let his family and friends know that he was safe, that he had made it, and that, that he was doing okay. But the person that he called was his caseworker because he didn't have any family. He didn't have any friends, and the only person he knew to call was the one person who had been paid to be in his life for the last few years. Now, I don't know about you, but that really is a sad situation to me that this man who's serving our country and defending our freedoms doesn't even have one person he could call that says, we care about you. We're going to be praying for you while you're there, and we respect these decisions that you have made. As we look a little even further down the line, we see that 30% of the homeless in our country were in foster care and 25% of those that are in prison were in foster care. So often we have church ministries that are very great ministries, helping the homeless, helping those that are in prison, wonderful outreaches. But what if we were able to take that and back it up just a couple steps? And let's start ministering to that, to that person when they're 13, 14, 15 years old, as they're aging out of foster care at 18, whatever it may be, and help them along this path rather than just saying, well, we'll just let you go there because that's not worth my time, so now... We'll, we'll start addressing it on the back end here. We've also got many that are on public welfare because, again, they've not had the coaching and the mentoring to understand what it means to be an adult, to live in society. How do I hold a job? How do I handle my finances? Tom mentioned earlier John 10.10, 10, where it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we believe that verse wholeheartedly represents what we're doing here in this area because we believe that the enemy has come to steal their dreams to kill their hopes, and to destroy their futures. And unfortunately for some of these kids, that has already happened. And every day they wake up thinking, what hope do I have to live? But we know that God promises to give life abundantly, and that's why he has come. And as Christ's ambassadors, we get the privilege of working with him in that process. And what an exciting and encouraging time for us. Every number and every statistic that I've referenced 
represents a specific child's life. And that's where we really need to focus because the numbers are important and it's, it's important to see how big the issue is and what the need is that exists. But we can't do it by neglecting the actual stories and the real faces that are impacted by this on a day-to-day -day basis. In Deuteronomy, it says that I have set before you life and death. Now choose life that you and your children may live. We believe that every day you have a choice to wake up and say, what am I going to do today that defends and chooses life? Or will I do the opposite? For these kids, they need someone to wake up and say, every day I am your advocate and I believe your life is worth it. I can see you with the eyes of God and recognize the value that he has placed within you. So again, we want to look at the faces of these kids. And these are some of the actual waiting kids here in the state of Colorado. You'll see a wide range of kids. You've got sibling groups, African-American, Hispanic, white, older, younger, special needs, all kinds of things all across the spectrum. And this picture represents only a very, very small portion of the number of kids who are waiting. But it does represent the scope. As I've said, some of these kids you can't tell from the photo, but they may be very behind developmentally. Some of them have other physical challenges that they struggle with. Some, like these little boys in, in the bottom right corner, are a sibling group. That gets them the label of special needs because they want to stay together. And it's important for me to grow up with my brothers, but it's harder to place three boys. Unfortunately, some of these other kids who you can tell are a little bit older, their file may also say special needs just because I'm 16. Now, some may argue that, yes, 16 is a special time of life, but I don't think it qualifies these kids to have the label special needs. But in these situations, it's because they're hard to place. I mean, most families just aren't willing to say, oh, sure, 16-year-old, why don't you come into our family? It's just a difficult thing, and we realize that. But we also know that God has called us to love these kids, no matter their age or stage. And if we really support life, if we really believe that life has value, why do these kids matter any less than any of the other kids in our lives? There's one picture I want to point out specifically, and it's the one right there in the middle the boy in the blue shirt, his name is Dante. A little over a year ago, we were hosting uh, an adoption recruitment event here in Colorado, and there's a thing called the Heart Gallery, and that's where these pictures are taken from. And what they do is it's a collection of photos of waiting kids, and they tour it around the state into uh, different churches, but sometimes it's at uh, DIA Airport, sometimes it's at the courthouse, downtown Denver, it just moves around, again, to bring life to these statistics. And we can hear the numbers, but again, seeing the faces is what brings it home. Well, the Heart Gallery does this neat thing where they've got these little postcards underneath each of the pictures for the kids. And it's got their picture, has their birthday, and it has a little description. So on Dante's, it says that he was born September 92, he's charismatic, creative, and he has a great sense of humor. He has many strengths, he excels in athletics, he's friendly, he loves football, camping, fishing, and he even enjoys writing poetry and playing his electric guitar. So, you know, you see some kids or some pictures, and they just, it just captures you in a certain way. Well, that's how it was with Dante when I saw his picture. And I took two of his cards, and I stuck one here in my Bible and one on my fridge. And I started a prayer campaign for Dante. Because, again, it says right on his card that his birthday is in September of 1992. And because of what I do, I know the statistics. I know what that means for Dante. That in September of 2010, he would turn 18 years old. And the state would say, it's been a good ride, Dante. Good luck to you. We hope, we wish you all the best. Enjoy your life. Welcome to adulthood. 
and he'd be turned out on his own. So I started this prayer campaign for Dante, and I would just pray and say, Lord, what is it about Dante that says, I don't, I don't need a family, I'm, I'm old enough, I'm, I'm past that point, or I don't deserve a family, I don't deserve someone to call when I need help or when I'm struggling. What is it about this kid that communicates that idea? Why does he not have a family? And it just really started this campaign again in, in my heart and in my prayer time with the Lord saying, what is it about him, God, he needs a family? And then in September of 2010, again, recognizing here it is, make or break point for Dante. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I walked into our next recruitment event, and I see this picture in the heart gallery. It's Dante's photo with a purple ribbon hanging on it that says adoption pending, which means a family had been identified who said, Dante, you belong with us. You are our son from now until Jesus comes back. You belong in our family. You are ours, and we are yours. Please, welcome home. We are so glad to have you. Man, that was a huge picture for me, seeing Dante that way, because I knew, I, again, I know the statistics. I know what happens to these kids. And will Dante's life be perfect from now on? Certainly not. But I know what the alternative could have been. And what a joy to be able to see, to see that come to fruition in his life. But there are so many other kids like Dante. And before we move on any further, I want to go ahead and play a quick video for you that brings some of these faces to life again. And I'll start by just saying that you'll see two photos of each of the kids here uh, in this video that we'll play. The first photo will be the picture that was taken of them not, not long after they came into foster care. The second picture you see will be them today. And you'll start to realize that some of these kids have been waiting for quite a long time for the family that they need. This little guy, Daryl, is one of them. He's my new campaign. He's 17. He's on my fridge. <laughs> been praying for Daryl that he'll find that family he needs.
because you see these kids who've been waiting three, five, ten years. And was it, what is it about them that just says, oh, I don't need a family. I don't deserve to have a family. And we can look at them and say, no, you're not as important as the other kids. We, we don't want to deal with you. No, you're too much work. You're too much of a problem. What is it about us that has said that to these kids for so many years that now these kids just believe that? I mean, so many of them will say, I don't, I don't want a family. Because inside they think, I don't deserve it. I don't know how I'd even interact in a family because it's been so long since I've known what that really means. But again, what is it about these kids that just says, oh, it's not important. They don't deserve that. Are you kidding me? I mean, you saw those faces of those kids who've been waiting so long. We really believe that it's the church's responsibility to come before these kids and say, okay, let's help. Let's do something. You are valued. You are loved. I see you. I see your needs, I see your hurts, I see your struggles, and you know what, this is hard. I'm not saying it's gonna be an easy journey, but I'm right here with you. When you need to cry, I'll be there with you. When you need to laugh, please share that joy with me. They need that consistency and that love. So where do we go from here? I know it's hard to see those pictures and then think, but now what, what do I do? One of the first things that we really challenge folks to do is just to pray. And I know sometimes that can be the easy answer and kind of the pat wrote answer that gets given. But if we're really prayerful and intentional about not only the kids, but the foster families, the adoptive families, the caseworkers, the judges, the court-appointed special advocates, all of those who are involved in the system, I really do believe we'll start to see real change. But this isn't just your, hmm, let's throw up a prayer today because it's really touched our heart. But what does this mean on a weekly basis? Maybe it's every Monday I've got set, time set aside that I'm praying specifically for a kid like Dante. Or maybe it's a family in your church that you're praying specifically for. Maybe it's just your county and the workers that are right around you that you're praying specifically for. But being intentional and saying, God, intervene in these situations. Show these kids your love through those that are around them. Give wisdom to the judges. Surround the caseworkers who are overloaded and overworked. Give them the discernment they need to make decisions that are best for kids. It really is an important step for us to really be mindful of. Second is wrapping around adoptive families. And this is a key area where we really believe the church can make a huge difference on the lives of adoptive families. And these are simple things. What we what we'd propose is nothing challenging. It's nothing that difficult. It's really taking a look at what are the needs that you know you could benefit from. But recognizing that this family over here is dealing with maybe a very special needs child or a situation that, you know, it takes everybody a little time to adjust when a new child comes into the family. So what can we do to help alleviate some of the stress this family is going through? Part of it is that prayer support. And going to a family and saying, I know this isn't going to be an easy journey for you. I want to walk alongside you. Please allow me to have a little bit of special access so that I'll get regular updates that say, this week we are really having a hard time with X, Y, and Z, and knowing that your prayer team will keep it confidential, but will be lifting you up before the Lord on a very regular basis. It could also be respite care, that they know that this family's got a lot of kids and they're just tired and no one really understands the issues that they're going through, so how do we provide some respite? Give the parents a chance to get away. There's a family that I work with where they have three kids, highly special needs, that were adopted from foster care. And most people just don't understand the challenges that this family faces. And too many people have said, sure, we'd like to help you. We'll come into the, into the home and you guys can go have dinner and we'll give you a break. Great, right? It sounds like a good idea. Except for them, the people don't take the time to understand 
how do I need to interact with these kids? What are their limitations? And what do I need to be respectful of? And too many people have said, well, I've parented four kids. I know how to do this. You guys just go have a good time. We'll be fine here. And then mom and dad come back and, whoo, <laughs> the house is a disaster. The kids are in total meltdown. They're so stressed out because their whole cycle has now been disrupted of, the, of the, what mom and dad have been trying to create. So when I go into their home, she gives special permission to me. Mommy is, is going to be gone, but she has given Miss Katie permission to be your boss while mommy is gone. And she knows the things you're allowed to do and you're not allowed to do. And I have been very intentional about understanding the needs of these kids and understanding the level of interaction that we can have and understanding my limitations with them while I'm there. And that's a huge help for these families, not to come in and assume that we know what's best, but to really ask and seek to understand the situations that they're living in. It also might mean acts of service, very simple things that we, that we could do on a, on a daily or weekly basis to help these families. Like maybe it's bringing in a meal once a week, once a month, however often. Maybe it's cutting the grass. Maybe it's doing laundry, doing errands, cleaning the bathroom, whatever it may be. Because I know for many of you, you come home from a long day of work and you're thinking, oh, the kids have homework, we've got basketball practice, we have all these activities we've got to get done, the house isn't clean, and there's just all this stress piling on. But then you think about this family who has welcomed home a child from these very difficult backgrounds. And in a lot of situations, it may have disrupted their family a fair amount. So for the, the parents to be able to come home and say, at least that's one other stress that I don't have to worry about. Now my, can, I can focus my attention right on this relationship that needs this, this rebuilding and this repair for this child who's been hurt. That's a huge burden lifted for a lot of these families. And then being consistent about revealing the promises of God to these families. For so many of us, when we start to feel that suffering and that hurt, and we just wonder, God, did you really call me to do this? Is this really what you've asked of me? Did you really mean that when you said to adopt? Yes, absolutely, I did. And so now here are the promises that I give you to be with you and to never forsake you and to fill you with, uh, with all the, the good blessings from above and to work all things out for good for those that are called according to his purposes. It's also important to volunteer our time because there are so many ways that we can just start plugging in. And the neat thing about this area is it's not really a one-size-fits-all kind of category. But I'd encourage you to take a few moments and reflect on what are your, guilt, your gifts, your abilities, your skill sets, the things that you just are really good at that other people, quite frankly, aren't. You know, maybe it's that you're a photographer. Well, those pictures that you saw for the Heart Gallery, they rely on volunteer photographers to go out and take pictures of those kids so that they can include them in a gallery that travels the state. Maybe it's just volunteering your time on a couple Saturdays when they're doing the new photo shoot to take pictures of kids. It's a great way to get plugged in. Maybe your gift is organization. This is my mom's gift. She is extremely organized. And her drawers in her kitchen have little tubs for each little thing to be in, and she knows exactly where everything is when you need to find it. I don't have quite the same level of organizational gift as my mom, but she's great about going in somewhere and saying, okay, let's, how do we organize this so we can be really efficient and take care of what needs to get done? Well, there are plenty of agencies and organizations, even right here in Colorado Springs and all around the world, who could benefit from someone who says, I'm here to just help you file things, put things in order, get things situated. Maybe it's making phone calls and interacting with families, just touching base with people. Maybe it's the networker who says, okay, here's my church, here's what we're doing, but I know the church down the street is doing this, and I know that agency does that. Let's all get in a room, and I'm going to be kind of the catalyst that gets everybody moving, that gets everybody going, and everybody talking about the same things. So really be prayerful about what are my gifts and abilities, and how can I use them to benefit these kids in need. Then you get to a higher level of volunteering. 
This is a court-appointed special advocate, and it is a volunteer position. It's also called a CASA. That's why it's listed that way. It's a court-appointed special advocate, and these folks go through special training and then are assigned to a specific case. It may just be one child, but it may be a sibling group. In either case, it's, a, it's kids who need someone to advocate on their behalf. So what you do is you'll just spend a certain amount of time each week getting to know this child. You'll get to meet the birth family. You'll know the foster family. You'll know their caseworker. And then when it comes time, you will actually go with them and represent that child in court. You'll be literally a voice for the voiceless. Someone to stand up and say, here's what I see happening in this birth home. Here's what I see happening in this foster family. And I think the best solution for this child is this. And sometimes it may be, yes, I've seen birth mom and dad doing great things. They are making great strides. They are doing wonderful. They need a little bit more time, but I know they can get there. Sometimes it may be, you know what, this foster family is really doing it right. Mom and dad have not been able to get, to get their act together. And I really think the best course of action is to move towards adoption with this foster family. But you get to be that voice for that child, again, to stand up for them when no one else seems to be doing that. It's a neat opportunity. It is a time commitment. And it involves us sacrificing of ourselves and of our time to be invested in someone's life. And to be vulnerable when maybe the outcome wasn't what you recommended or what you would have liked to see happen. But to say, Lord, it's in your hands. I did what I could. I was faithful to what you called me to. And bottom line, I built a relationship with this child who knows that they are loved. I was able to spend time with them and communicate that, that, person, that personal love to them. Then you get into foster care, which is obviously a little bit deeper level of involvement. Foster care is not an easy assignment, and I would never assume that it would be. Certainly would be challenging to have kids in and out of your home from all different backgrounds and situations and uh, kids from just uh, abuse and neglect and very, very, very challenging, but very, very needed. And a place where the body of Christ can really come around these kids and say, during this time of your greatest need, when you've just been pulled from your biological family and you have no idea what's happening, let me be here to be what we consider love on the way. You may not stay in my home long. You may go quickly back to your birth family or you may move on to a long-term foster family or to an adoptive family. But during the time you're in my home, I want you to know and understand the love of Christ because of how I'm living that out. Not because I'm sitting here preaching it to you, but because I simply love you and welcome you into my home. It's a very neat opportunity and shows children what it means to be in a family, especially if they've come from a very poor situation that just hasn't demonstrated that well for them. In some cases, it also allows a foster family to get to, in a sense, mentor the birth family because you get these interactions where you're taking the child for a visit and you get to see some of those interactions. And in some cases, you're able to develop a, an, an ongoing relationship. So the birth mom can call you and say, I've been really struggling and I'm really trying to do my plan correctly because I really want to have my kids back and I want to be a good mom. I want to be able to provide for them. And I know I've not done that, but can you help me? Can you teach me how to control my finances so that I don't get in a situation where I'm desperate for money and do things myself or with my children that are just not appropriate? Can you help me figure these things out so that I don't find myself in these situations? Neat opportunity to be able to mentor with those folks. And then you get to adoption, which is obviously a big commitment as well. Welcoming these children home permanently. Pastor John Piper considers adoption to be the visible gospel because it really does reveal Christ to a waiting world. And as I'm able to stand here and say, yes, I'm adopted because Christ has adopted me into his family. 
And we tend to overlook that sometimes. But an earthly adoption is just a picture of that for us all to see visibly with our eyes of the adoption that Christ has done for us. And he came to me and said, Katie, you are a dirty little mess. You are gross on the inside. You've got some nasty things happening, but guess what? I don't care. I love you anyway. I've welcomed you in, and we'll work on the rest. That will come. But for now, I need you to know that you are loved, that you are precious, that we are in this together. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. I'm walking right here beside you. In that same way, that's what these kids need. Someone to come and say, I see what happened before. I know that past. I know the things you did at school or the temper that you have or the challenges that you're facing, but I don't really care. We'll deal with that later. Right now, you need to know that you're safe and secure in our home. And, and you've got this consistency. I'm going to be your mom or dad, like it or not. And we can, you can fight about that all you want, but this is the reality of the situation. It's amazing how many kids, especially these in foster care, we just came through the holidays. And a lot of us might complain about my dysfunctional family. Oh, my word, you would not even believe the things I had to endure when I went back home. And whew, my mother-in-law is so crazy, or my sister is so weird, or whatever it may be. And these kids are saying, if only I had someone that was dysfunctional. If only I had someone in my life that at least was consistent, <laughs> that I knew how they were going to react, I knew how they'd respond, that at least had some level of consistency. So it's easy for us to complain about it, but let's not take for granted those without a family. Tom talked earlier about how sometimes we don't like to be involved because it's going to be too painful. It's going to be too hard. I don't want to put myself out there. It's going to be too vulnerable, and I want to put this wall around me to keep myself safe to keep myself protected because I just, I just don't really want to deal with that. I don't really have time for that. I don't want to get involved. But if we as the strong Christian adults who trust in the Lord are not willing to put ourselves on the line and lay down our life for our brother, then who in the world is going to? If I can't say I'm a, as a strong Christian woman, I want to help and love this child, even if it means that when they go back to their birth family, I sob my eyes out for two days. Yes, that's going to happen, but I understand that God is in the midst of each of these situations. And again, if I'm not willing to put myself out there, who is going to do it? My answer would be, more than likely, no one. And we've seen what happens when these kids age out, when no one comes for them, when no one stands in the gap. One of the exciting things that we've been able to witness is a movement in the church that's really been gathering steam. Here in Colorado Springs, but in places around the country, and the idea of adoption and orphan care really has started being elevated in a lot of different church communities. And it's just, again, it's thrilling to see that. As focus on the family, we wanted to make some special, intentional effort to speak up for those in foster care that cannot speak for themselves. Again, we recognize that the world has more orphans than, than we can handle at this point. Current estimates are around 163 million orphans in the world. It's about half the population of the United States. So we know that the need is vast, and it exists in every country, on every continent, every place around the world. But we also want to be sensitive to not neglect these kids that are right in our backyards. The ones you saw in that video, some of them may be in school with kids that are already in your home, or may go to your church, or may live just down the street. And we want to be mindful to not overlook those, those kids and not to continue communicating to them that they're not worth our time and effort. A couple years ago, as Focus was really launching our effort, we hosted our first Wait No More event. The goal of this was simply to raise awareness and recruit families for the waiting kids in foster care. At that time here in Colorado, it was about nearly 800 kids who were in foster care awaiting a permanent placement. Now, there are thousands of kids in care, but of those, the eight, there were about 800 who, just, who needed a family. 
The courts had determined that they could not return to their birth families and needed to be placed with an adoptive family, but there weren't enough families. So these kids were just waiting, like the ones you've seen in the video, from day to day wondering, will I celebrate my birthday here or there? Am I going to age out? What's the best plan for me? So we did this event. We actually hosted it on this campus here at New Life Church. And we really didn't know what to expect. I mean, we were brand new at this. We just wanted to help. So we went to Dr. Sharon Ford at the State Department of Human Services. Wonderful Christian woman, absolutely outstanding. And her heart really is for these kids. She's been working in the child welfare area for about 25 years. And she has had her own prayer campaign going for about 25 years, saying, God, intervene in these situations. Show me what to do so that we can find families and provide what these kids need. So we went to Sharon and we said, we want to do a recruitment event. We don't really know exactly what it looks like yet, but we want to work together with you on this. And we want to work with local placing agencies and really encourage families to start the process, but we don't want to sugarcoat it. We're not going to just tell them it's going to be flowers and roses every day. We're going to tell them some of the realities. We want it to be real, but we want to challenge families with what the Word of God says. So Sharon said, great, I'm on board. I'm excited to work together. And we said, okay, what if we found 100 families to start the process? I mean, would that be successful for you, in your eyes? And she said, if you could get 100 families at that event, that would be success times three. So we said, okay, well, we like to dream big. Let's shoot for 100. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. So we did all of our marketing. We did the promotion. And we were able to just stand back and watch as the Lord moved through this community. Because that day here on the campus of New Life, we had 1,300 people show up to hear about the needs of kids in foster care. And we had 265 families initiate the process of adoption. I mean, Sharon and I, we were all, again, at the end of the day, we we're standing back thinking, wow, Lord, you really did this because we are not this good. <laughs> There's nothing we did that made this happen, and we know it was really your spirit in this city and in this building. 265 families stepped up to the plate and said, we're going to take that next step. We're going to see what the Lord has for us. We believe these children should be in our home, and we want to do what we can. We've since done two events, two other events here in Colorado, and have recruited over 500 Colorado families to initiate that process of adoption. Again, the state's sitting there thinking, wow, that was incredible. I don't even know how that happened. It's been remarkable. And then Sharon, as she talks to other folks around the country who are in her similar position for other states, they say, what just happened in Colorado? I'm sorry, how many families? Are you serious? And then they call me, and they say, I heard what happened there. How do we do that here? We've been fortunate to do eight events at this point around the country in places like Texas, California, Florida, Ohio, just really seeing, again, a move of the Lord in each of those communities. We've got a couple other events upcoming and are just excited to see the continued stirring of God's, um, God's people for this, for this issue. The total so far is over 1,280 families who have initiated the process of adoption within the last two years. Now, we know that not all of those families will follow through on the process. They'll have to back out for different reasons. There'll be other uh, issues with them proceeding. We understand that reality. We're not naive to think that all of them will have placements. But what we do know from one family who came to that first Way No More event is they now have four boys who are from a very difficult situation that DHS thankfully was able to learn about and rescued those kids from a dire situation. Well, now they've got four more kids in their family and they've got three older brothers and sisters, and it's just a big, happy family. And they have lots of issues. Yes, there are challenges. They are certainly working through. But it's been exciting, again, to see God's hand on that family. Then another family who said, okay, here we are, Lord. We've got biological kids, but we think we've got room for more. What does that mean for us? Here are three girls for your family. Okay, Lord, here we are. Let's finalize. We're excited to do this. At the time, the girls were four, six, and eight. 
Again, their, their file probably said special needs because there were three of them. And considering that the older two were six and eight, they were pushing the boundaries too. Unfortunately, some kids are told you're too old. It's probably not going to happen for you. And the older you get, well, sorry. Let's just start thinking about aging out and what that might look like for you. So we're excited to be a part of this move where God's people are saying, these are our kids. This is where God's heart is. How do we be involved? I will never sit here and tell every family that they should adopt. I don't believe that's the case at all. But I do believe more families are called to adoption than are currently pursuing it. Especially as you look at this area of foster care, we see kids right in our communities with, with these needs. And I believe that it's our call to help answer those needs. I don't want this to be a guilt trip, and I don't want you to leave here thinking, okay, well, I guess I have to adopt now because you made me feel bad about not. No, that's not my goal. Please don't run out and do that, okay? But what I would ask is that you take a few moments and be intentional in prayer and say, God, what do you want me to do as it relates to this issue? Maybe it is just volunteering somewhere. Maybe I'll become a CASA. Maybe it means I might start looking at foster care. Maybe we should adopt. Maybe it is an intentional prayer support and getting involved with the heart gallery and finding one kid to be praying for. Whatever it is, make a note of it even and say, here's what I'm committing to today. Because it's easy to listen to this today and feel sad and to have your heart be broken about what's happening. But then to just leave here and think, wow, that was a lot of information. Okay, good. Tomorrow, Sunday, we'll move on. No, we want this to stick with us because we don't believe that God's heart for life and justice is just today. So how do we incorporate that into every day? And every day as we wake up to say, I'm going to choose life today, not only for myself, but for those around me. And how do I use my voice to be a voice for the voiceless? In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That's not a typical verse that people read as it relates to adoption. <laughs> but I love the part where it says that God had determined the exact places where they should live. For these kids who've been removed from their families, God knows their stories. He knows, and he knows where they're going to end up. And he knows that this Jones family over here doesn't know it yet, but little Timmy's going to be joining their family in the next couple of years. And it's exciting to me to see how he has determined these exact places where he is going to set the lonely in families. Again, the big picture here is that each of us have a role in this. Each of us have a part we can play, again, in, in securing justice and being a voice for life for these kids. I'd like to take just a couple minutes, and if anyone has questions specifically about foster care or adoption or anything related to that, I'd be happy to try and address a few questions real quickly. So if you want to just... Raise your hand and stand up and kind of holler a question at me. I'll repeat it so everyone can hear. And then, yes, go ahead. The cards from the Heart Gallery, I don't have any here. And actually, I, I meant to look and find out where the Heart Gallery is currently. They are, they tour around uh, Colorado. And so just actually left, focus on the family campus, unfortunately. But I'm not sure where they're setting it up next. So you can get them there if you run into, if you go to the Heart Gallery website, you can just Google Heart Gallery Colorado and it'll tell you where they're going to be next, and you can find them there. The other thing you can do, and this is for anybody anywhere, is go to a website like Heart Gallery of America or adoptuskids.org. They have a whole photo listing of kids who are waiting. So you can search by state, you can search by age, you can search by gender or race or whatever you want, and find a, a child or a, or a couple kids, or maybe everyone in your family has a specific child that they're praying for, and you can just print that off online and get that information that way too. You don't have to go anywhere, but you can get that information readily. Yes. 
there is a need for respite care. A lot of these families do feel very overwhelmed because of the stress they're living with and the challenges they're facing and recognizing that no one really understands what they're, what they're going through. So yes, there is a big need for respite. For the families who have already adopted and have finalized their adoption, the kids are in their home, mostly it's a matter of just connecting with that family. Most churches in, the, in, in this community, I know for sure, and in most places around the state, have adopted families. So it's as simple as just identifying them. Sometimes it's easy to tell because the kids don't always look like the parents. Other times it might take a little more legwork on your part. But saying to them, here's what I'd love to do. I would like to provide this support with you for you. The other side is that a lot of agencies will offer this to their families. So you could talk to a local placing agency. There are nine agencies licensed by El Paso County alone. So there are several others throughout the state that you could be involved with. And obviously um, one's licensed in each state around the country. So connect with an agency. Again, a lot of this is not necessarily just an easy fix. It's going to take some time and some involvement, maybe some legwork on the front end to identify the agency, to identify the family. But just start asking around. Ask members of your church, hey, do you know anybody who's adopted? Because I'd really like to try and help that family. I want to provide support to them. So if you can't find one through your church, you could probably connect through an agency, especially there are some great faith-based agencies who maybe even have existing support groups going. And once they kind of get you in their loop, you can connect with those families and be able to provide that or help them as they're doing an official, you know, parents' night out kind of thing. Are there any other questions? Uh, so, yes, go ahead. If you want to become a CASA, you can just go, I think for the, I think it's in Colorado Springs, it's CASA PPR, Pikes Peak Region, or maybe it's PPR CASA, one of the way, .org. If you just Google CASA in Colorado, you'll be able to find it. You have to sign up with uh, the CASA office, which is downtown Colorado Springs. There's paperwork that you'll fill out. They will do a background check on you and get references and things like that. And then you'll go through some special training so that you understand the processes, you understand the kids, kind of understand how it will work. And then they'll assign you to your first case. And they'll only assign you to one case at a time. Pretty sure that even if you say you have lots of, t lots of free time, they'll just assign you to one because they want you to really understand that child and their needs and that family rather than getting too overwhelmed with too many cases. Yes. Okay, well, she works at Casa Pikes Peak Region. So if you would like to start here in Colorado Springs, just please talk with her. <laughs> She's the one right there. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yes. That's a great question. She asked about the costs associated with local adoptions, like from foster care. This is one of the misconceptions we hear about adoption regularly. Adoption can be very expensive, especially as you're looking at an infant adoption or an intercountry adoption. An adoption from foster care typically costs only a couple hundred dollars, if anything at all. So we like to make sure that families are aware of that because we certainly, some, one of my friends asked me one time, what would you recommend for a family on a budget? And I said, well, no, <laughs> that's not how I want to go about it. Because I believe that the Lord will work in whatever circumstance to what he's called you to. So if he's called you to intercountry adoption, by all means, please do that. And I know that he will provide the funds. I have a, a close friend who's pursuing infant adoption, and I know the funds will come, will come through. So just if you're thinking, well, we don't have a lot of money, so this is the best option for us. No, really pray about what's going to be a best fit for your family. One of the things we challenge families with frequently as well is to look at adoption about the needs of kids, not the needs of adults. Too often, I could get in a situation where I say, well, I as a woman really want to be a mom, therefore I will adopt. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to be a parent before you pursue adoption, but if that's your only reason for pursuing adoption, more than likely, 
you won't, you'll have some unmet expectations. And then what happens? If this child comes into my home and I expect him to just run up into my arms and say, Mommy, I love you so much. I've waited for you to come get me. Oh, my word, thank you so much for saving me. As soon as he doesn't do that, he says, I'm not even, you're not even my real mom anyway. How do I respond? Okay, fine. Then you go back to her. Well, again, if I'm the strong Christian individual, <laughs> that's not the response that this child needs. And so how can I set aside my expectations and my needs and really focus on that child? So be prayerful about what type of child would be the best fit for your family, the needs that you can realistically meet, and the ways that you can really engage. And then we can factor in the cost. But yes, it is important to consider that adoption from foster care costs virtually nothing. Yes. It, she asked about the average time a child in foster care would stay with you. And honestly, it's very hard to say. Some families get licensed as an emergency foster care home, so which means if, they, if DHS got a call in the middle of the night and, or there was a report of domestic abuse and they had to remove kids from the home at 2 in the morning, they may call you and say, this kid needs to stay with you for maybe only 48 hours until we can find another placement for them. So there are some families who specifically do that emergency, oh my goodness, what do we do now? For a lot of these kids, hopefully they get into a good foster placement and can stay for a while, but that's just not always the case. And honestly, there's not a great formula to figure it out. In some situations, again, a child may only come into care for a short time and then be re reunited with their birth family. So it's just hard to give too much of an estimate. I know of cases where a kid has come into care and only had one foster family the whole time they were in care. Other kids have had 10 placements. It depends a little bit on your family. Some families have said, take this kid out of my home. We, we don't want to deal with this anymore, so you have, I mean, there's all those factors to consider. So it's kind of, I know that's not really an answer to your question, but it's kind of the best one I feel like I can give right now. Yes? She was just sharing about their, their experience being foster parents and how they've had some kids in their home for just a week or two, some kids for eight or nine months, and then they're in the process now of pursuing adoption with their eighth and ninth placements that they've had. This, there are regulations. I mean, I know we, we talk about the stats in terms of how long kids are in care. There are federal regulations that move towards getting kids permanency, but there can be some flexibility in there, and unfortunately some of the boundaries can get pushed at times. If, you know, we, you've heard cases where kind of the time limit was expiring, but then all of a sudden mom came back in the picture and started doing what she needed to do, and so now her time got extended. Part of the reason there's been a push, too, to reunify with birth families is there's not even adoptive families available. Our goal as we do this, these events across the country is to flip adoption from foster care on its head a little bit. And instead of having these kids who are waiting two, six, ten years for their permanent families to have families who are waiting for kids. That's our ultimate goal. So that when a child comes into care and they need a place, it's, it's, hey, we're sitting here waiting. We'd rather be the ones waiting than these kids. And so how can we get enough families who, maybe we've got a queue of 25 families ready to go, but that's an incredible problem to have. The other benefit that has is as a child comes into care, their caseworker is able to look at a bunch of different families and say, let's really determine which family is going to be the best fit, rather than just saying we have one home or we're choosing between two because those are the only options that we have right now. Does anyone else have any questions before I wrap up today?
I really want to appreciate you all for being here today at Life and Justice and specifically for being here uh, with me to hear a little bit more about these orphans in foster care. It's an issue that I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to get into, but God really has revealed this area of passion for me. And when I see these kids and I see that video and I see the heart gallery and I just say, God, use me. Let me be your voice to talk about these kids. How do we rally people to help them? How do we get behind the foster care system in general? And it is so encouraging to me to see so many folks sitting right here in this room. So if you'll allow me, I'll just close this in prayer, and then we'll move on to our break. Father God, we are so thankful for this time together, for this time to lift up those that are hurting, those that are vulnerable, those, God, that are at the center of your heartbeat. We pray that as we leave from here, we won't just take it as good information from any of the speakers that we've heard, God, but that we'd be intentional and prayerful about the ways you're calling us to plug in and to be involved. We're so thankful, God, that you, you allow us to participate in the work you're doing, and we know that we are not worthy and we cannot do it on our own, but God, we are grateful that you have equipped us and that you have called us. Father, we know there are no quick fixes either. And I pray that you would give us the patience to seek out these opportunities, to find the families to serve, to love on the kids, to not give up too quickly when it just gets challenging. Allow us to be vulnerable, to put ourselves out there, to let our hearts get broken a little bit, God, because we know that it's for your glory and for your good. Father, we pray for the rest of this evening that you would continue to be glorified and edified, that what we do would be pleasing to you, and that what we say would honor you. In your name, amen. Thank you all. You've got a little bit of a break here until the Q&A session starts a little bit later.